I want you, if you, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. So I've been thinking about this, and I know Pastor Tony mentioned this on Sunday. Um, and he preached on this sometime, I don't know, it's been about a couple of months ago. And, uh, and I, I just couldn't get away from it. I keep on thinking on it, and I've been chewing on this passage of Scripture. And it's one that you guys are so familiar with. Uh, but I want to talk to you about uh, bold steps for a big God. Taking bold steps for God takes some big faith. It's not an easy thing. It never is easy to big, take big steps for God. Um, no, no one ever made a difference in history, human history, not just American history, human history, unless they took some bold steps. And every time they've taken a bold step, some crazy things have happened. But they had to go through some crazy things, too. So it's the same with God. If you want to do some big things for God, you have to, you have to take some bold steps. And uh, if you want big opportunities, you have to take some bold steps. I, I think too many people are just average. They just want to maintain and go through the motions, right? You know what I'm saying? All right, I don't know why I'm telling you this. So I, was, I, was, I went to McDonald's to get, I've been getting iced coffee from McDonald's because I thought, Starbucks, you cost too much. So I'm getting $2 ones. I know, I'm a compromiser. And I drive by and there's this guy, he looked very healthy. I mean, he was just, had it together. But he's always laying on the sidewalk over by this building and I'm like, you know what, I feel bad for him. I'm going to get him something from McDonald's. And I don't usually do that because I don't know the situation. I don't know if he's, not that I don't give food for people that are in need. That sounded horrible. I'm saying money and so forth. So I, 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 I get McDonald's. I drive over there. <laughs> I roll down the window. And he was some French guy. And I said, hey, I got you McDonald's. Are you hungry? He goes, I don't want your McDonald's. And I was like, it's I, just... I just got it because I felt bad for you and looked hungry. He goes, I don't need your food. Go away. And I'm like, okay. So I ate it. I should have ate it right there in the parking lot, but I didn't. I, I moved on and ate it privately by myself. And I thought, wait a second. You're not hungry. You're extremely healthy. You look great. Why are you just wasting all this potential by laying around all day long? And I'm talking weeks He's been out there for weeks, every day, just lays and sleeps all day. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm not judging anybody. It sounds like it. But the fact is, is this. It's everywhere. Everywhere people are not using the full potential that God has given them. They have opportunity to do some big things. I'm not just talking about for God, for people. We have an opportunity as believers to take bold steps for a big God. And I, I, I feel like people are missing out. But there's some things you have to be aware of. Uh, if you want to take bold steps for God. I'm talking about doing some big things. And, and these things are found in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in John, and for whatever reason, it's not in Luke. I don't know if Luke just didn't write down the account for whatever reason, but he didn't. But we're, we're going to look at Matthew's account. And in Matthew chapter 14, I want to look at this. And we're going to see Peter had to learn some things in order to take some big steps. And, and we all know Peter I mean, there's a history of Peter doing some crazy things. Probably a lot of them were before he even thought it through. But right here in Matthew chapter 14, what's happening here takes place after some crazy events. All right, so you kind of have clarity. Because so often we hear about Peter stepping out of the boat, which was, we're going to talk about. But we don't know all that's taking place before that. On that particular day... And it could have been just prior to this day, but John the Baptist just had 
been um, put to death. He had his head removed. And we know John the Baptist and his relations with Jesus. He's been preaching and announcing that Jesus was coming. He baptized Jesus. He, he's a relative of Jesus. But he just died. And the disciples went and got his body and buried him. So the disciples are already in a place right now of just disarray. They're just broken, right? And so the Bible says that they and Jesus are going to go into a, a desert place near Galilee and uh, the Sea of Galilee. And they're getting away. And I believe, and it doesn't say this, I believe they just needed a break. They just needed to clear the minds, spend time in prayer. They're just going to get away. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You, sometimes you just got to get away. Well, word spreads fast because Jesus is so, so popular for what he's done. And it's not just because he's the Messiah. There were some that just loved him because he gave them food and others that loved him that, because he healed them. I mean, we're not talking about ERs on every corner or urgent cares. I mean, this was an opportunity if your son or daughter had some kind of, even if it was just a sniffle or something seemed off, you're thinking they could possibly die from this because the time they lived in, it was unpredictable when it came to your health. So everybody that had an issue, if they had kids that had an issue, they're like, let's go, let's go see Jesus, he's in town. So word spread fast. So the blind are making their way, the lame are making their way, even the people that had dead people are making their way. I mean, it's crazy times because Jesus was the one that's making all the difference. So imagine this, they're showing up, hundreds of them, to the point there's thousands there now in the middle of nowhere and Jesus was just getting away. But Jesus' heart of compassion he starts healing, he starts helping, and over and over again you see the disciples go, can we just send them away? Can we just have this moment? Have you all noticed how many times the disciples say, well, just send them away? The kids show it up, and Jesus blessed them at another portion of scripture, and they're like, send them away. Like, we don't even like kids. Woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, why is she here? It's like they couldn't see the needs, ever. It's like the average church, you know? It's like we go through the motions and don't see the needs. But here's where we're at. And so Jesus is ministering. It's starting to get really late. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something profound we've seen before. He, he feeds the 5,000. That's, that's not even counting women and children. So there's so many more. And so, you know, the five loaves and the two fishes and so forth. And he multiplies them. And then so this event takes place. It's getting dark. Jesus finishes up. I think about the, the wedding yesterday we went to, and I thought, man, they're going to stay so late cleaning up after this event, and there's only a couple of hundred people, if that, in that, um, for the, uh, the, the dinner afterwards and so forth. But can you imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of people? So the disciples are gathering all the rem remnants of food. They're exhausted. And then Jesus says, you guys, cross, cross over the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you on the other side. I came out here for a reason. That was to get away and to pray. So he said, I'm going to go to the mountain. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get away. So they get in the boat. Now it's dark. And uh, they get in the boat, which is nothing big for them because, uh, you know, they fish a lot at night. And so they're in the boat. They're crossing over. And so that's where we're at. little backstory there. Took a while. <laughs> and straightway, listen to Matthew uh, 14, 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship and go before him to the other side. And he's like, I'm going to meet you guys over there. We'll get rid of the multitude, thousands of people. Let's, let's get this rolling. In verse 23, three, the Bible says, and he sent the multitude away. And he went up into the mountain and he prayed. And the evening came and he was alone. And Jesus got alone by himself. And then the Bible goes on to say that, but the ship 
in verse 24, was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on water. Now, this is that incredible, profound miracle that a lot of people step back and go, why? Well, I don't really have the complete answer to that. Why walk on water? I mean, if I could walk on water, I'd probably do it a lot. But for whatever reason, but that's not why Jesus worked. But here he is, he's walking on water. In verse 26, uh, the disciples saw him, they were troubled, they, they thought it was a spirit, they cried out in fear. And then verse 27, and straightway Jesus spake unto them, basically just say, calm down, be of good cheer, it's okay. Everything's under control, don't freak out. He didn't say it that way, I'm just paraphrasing. In verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, it, if, it's, if it's you, if it be thou, bid me to come. On the water. And so Jesus did. And when he walked out on the water, the Bible said he looked around about himself and all of a sudden he became fearful and began to sink. And we know the story well because he cried out to the Lord saying, save me. In verse 31, immediately Jesus reaches out, pulls him out of the water and saves him. And then he says the words, oh, ye of little faith. He's saying, thou hast little faith. Why? Why did you doubt? And then in verse 32, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased because it's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants and he caused it to cease. Here's what I want you to see. I really want you to understand historically what's taking place here and geographically what's taking place here. So let me tell you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was not just a sea, it was more like a lake. I mean, we think of the Sea of Galilee as being huge, but it really wasn't. The Sea of Galilee was only 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. And some of the parts of the Sea of Galilee, more, main, mainly on the north end, were very, very deep, over 100 feet. Uh, it was like 64 miles, square miles in diameter. I mean, some of the Great Lakes were bigger than the Sea of Galilee. But the cool thing about the Sea of Galilee is you could stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and look out and see Capernaum and you could see well, where Jesus stood on the side of the mountain and gave the Beatitudes and you can see far distance. And that's how small it was. Uh, um, it, it's like 700 feet below sea level, which is really unique. So they didn't really get a whole lot in that area because it's more like valleys and, 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 and so forth. And so the water would go from the Jordan River into the Sea of Galilee. But there was also numerous springs in the Sea of Galilee. So that made it where the water was crystal clear. So if you've ever been to Panama City, Florida, or you've been to the Bahamas, you see that clear water. The water was a lot like that here because it's spring-fed. It was just beautiful. So this area is just a prime area. If you ever go to the Holy Lands, I would suggest to go to the Sea of Galilee above everything else because the majority of what we've learned in biblical history takes place around the Sea of Galilee. And so it's just a beautiful, elaborate place and everybody just still today loves it because of all the scenery surrounding the Sea of Galilee and, and, and the river that goes from the Jordan into the Sea of Galilee. So what's the point? All right. And the point is simply this. They knew that area and they knew it well. And it was beautiful. And they've been there all their lives. But something is about to take place on this lake, if you would. And it's going to change their life because bold steps for God are about to begin. So is everybody with me? Yes, pretty, pretty simple where we're at. Okay, great. 
So here we are in verse 24 of chapter 14 of Matthew. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. According to Mark, another account, and Mark gives account of Jesus, and uh, I believe it was Mark 6:48. He said, Jesus saw them from the shore. So this is interesting. Jesus was close enough in the midst of the beginning of that storm to watch them have a hard time getting through the storm. Now, why would Jesus stand on the shore? He wasn't standing by to watch them drown. He was standing by to watch them learn. Because you have to go some, through some things to learn some things. So I believe with all my heart that Jesus was watching them go through some things that was going to change their life, specifically Peter. And here's where we're going to go in. Okay, God calls us to do some big things in the midst of hard times. I want you to understand that. That's not always true, but most of the time it is true. God calls us to do some big things in the midst of hard times. They were in an unfamiliar place in the middle of the sea. See, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea. You say, well, they grew up. You just explained that they know these waters. But at this particular time, they didn't really understand what was going on in these waters. It was unfamiliar. They have never experienced a storm quite like this. For a matter of fact, because of how far below sea level that area is, there's not a lot of storms that take place in this area. So when they do come, they come very quickly and abruptly and aggressively. The last time we saw a crazy storm in the Sea of Galilee was in the early 90s. They had four-foot waves. We just don't see it very often. They don't have flooding and things like we experience here. It's just a little different in that particular area. So here they are, and they're in a very unfamiliar place because bold steps for God don't always happen in familiar places. Sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone, and I'm going to go and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about in this passage of Scripture, to make a bold move for God. That's why other, the other disciples didn't get out of the boat. There was 11 that stayed in the boat. Looking outside of the boat, it was a scary sight. This is like we've never seen it like this before. Why would we ever take a step out of this boat? Everything around them was not like they've ever experienced before. They've been in some storms, but not like this. They've been in some hard times, but not like this. They were thinking, we're going to die. That's how bad this is. And, you know, here's the thing. Bold steps for a big God sometimes come when things don't feel right. They're like, this doesn't feel right. But we don't go by our feelings. We go by our faith. If you want to take big steps for God, it's not about the way you're feeling. It's, a way, it's about what God is leading you to do. Missionaries choose to step out in unfamiliar places and unfamiliar countries because they're taking bold steps for God to meet unfamiliar people and weird cultures because they are willing to step out in the midst of hard times. And by the way, that is not easy. You know, you're driving 45 minutes or an hour to come to this location. It's an unfamiliar place. We got to know the Dublin community. We're used to you know, Columbus or wherever you've grown up. But the point is, is this is nothing compared to so many others that are going to other countries. Jordan, you know, Liuzzo is in the Philippines right now. They're, they're, they're scoping out a location to start a new orphanage. He's, that's why he's not here. That, that's bold steps for God. If you're waiting to take big, bold steps for God because you want something that's familiar, you'll never take a bold step for God. You're always going to stay in that comfort zone, if you would. 
Because God calls us to do big things in the midst of hard times. And, and sometimes that's in, in an unfamiliar place. So here they are in this very unfamiliar place. But they were willing, Peter was willing to get out of the boat. I'm going to make this very clear. Because this is not just about ministry. It's about you on a personal level. It's about you when you're praying and fasting or seeking God about what college to go to. Or what, what, what kind of job you're going to get. What, if, if God gives you an opportunity and you're in a relationship and you've been in a relationship for a long time and God's just giving you green light after green light to get married. Sometimes you have to take bold steps. I mean, Caleb is one of those guys, Skinner, that just got married. He overanalyzes everything. He'll tell you that. They've been dating for three years, but he knew it was time. That's a bold step because he just didn't want to go through the motions. You see, these guys stepped out of, Peter stepped out of the boat in an unfamiliar place, but it was an unstable position. The Bible says in chapter 14 and verse 24, tossed with waves. So everything was unstable. Everything was up and down. If you're going to make a bold move for God, big bold steps, it's not always going to be a stable position. Sometimes it's going to be up and down, and you're going to find yourself going, man, I got a green light from God. I feel good about this. And then the next day you're like, oh, I just don't know. What am I going to do? I just don't know if I should do this. We're always fighting with this inner man. But bold steps are full steps. That means you don't do half-heartedly. Peter didn't put one foot out of the boat and the other foot in the boat and go, I just don't know. The disciples would have been like, what are you doing? What, I don't understand. Are you getting out of the boat? Or are you staying in the boat? No, Peter got completely out of the boat. He was willing to take a bold step for God. You can't be halfway in and halfway out. Are y'all following me? Yes, sir. You're all the way in or you're not. Peter has got a bad rep. For 2,000 years, Peter is known for the guy with little faith. But let me tell you something about Peter. He still had faith because he got out of the boat. Bold steps for a big God come by getting out of the boat. The other disciples, the 11, they didn't have any faith because they never got out of the boat. I'm going to tell you this. Bold steps come when things are unstable. And it's not taking a chance. It's called living by faith. And I know that seems scary, but sometimes bold steps happen when your finances are unstable. When things just don't seem right and you're like, I don't know if we can do this. I remember living in Tennessee when me and Brianna first got married. And man, I was struggling. We barely made anything. At times, we'd get food from the food pantry. I was on WIC. We were just barely surviving. If y'all know what I'm talking about, if you ever, when you first get married, it's not always easy. We did our best. We got debt free and we were just, just doing our very best. But there was one thing we were determined to do. No matter how broke we were, we were going to give back to God. Not just of our time and our talents, but of our tithe. I mean, we chose 10%. We were just like, let's, let's give back because we can, we should. And God would just do amazing things. I mean, crazy things. And I didn't give to God to get things back. But I remember at times people would give us money and I never saw it coming. One time I didn't lock my truck hardly at all because we were in East Tennessee in the middle of nowhere. And I went to my truck and on my dashboard it had a little note and it said, look under your seat. Well, that could be bad in Columbus. But I was excited at that very moment. I looked under my seat and there was a $20 bill. And so and then I started looking under everything, under the hood. I was really hoping something else was going to happen. But what my point is, is simply this. Sometimes things are unstable and you have to take a bold step. And it sometimes will affect your finances. 
And I remember me and Brave were so ashamed and embarrassed because we were giving $5 a month to missions. Five. But I was like, it's a little faith. It's better than no faith. I'm going to do the best I can with what I got. So I'm just saying, if you want to take bold steps for God and get out of the boat, sometimes it's going to be an unstable position. You just do it. So the question is, why didn't the others get out of the boat? Because they had a boat. And the boat was a safety. It was th that boat for them is, is, is that, that step of saying, hey, step back, not step forward, of saying, I'm comfortable. This is safe. This is sure. This is stable. And there's nothing about what Peter's doing that I want a part of. So I guess the question is for you and me, what's your boat? I mean, seriously, what, what is your boat? Is, 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 what, what is it that's keeping you from stepping out by faith? We, we all have a boat. And the boat represents what holds us back from making bold moves for God, bold steps for God. It's our safety net. And your boat is whatever presents itself as the safety and security separate from God. Are you all following me? And, and the interesting thing about the boat in our lives is it could be different things. It could be friends. It could be parents. It could be, it could be money. It could be our, our job. If you want to know, if you want to know what your boat is, you're going to have to ask your, your fear because it'll tell you. And the reason why is just asking it, you're going to find out very quickly that it, it's anything that turns aside from God when in the midst of fear. Your fear will highlight the things that you find yourself turning to for security. Are you following me? I don't know if I worded that correctly, but I hope it makes sense to you. When Peter stepped out of the boat, something big happened. But he had to get out of the boat. He was able to walk on water just like Jesus. That was a miraculous event. But it, he could have never walked on the water unless he got out of the boat. When it was unstable and he was unsure, he still got out of the boat. I'm going to tell you this. Walking on water represents miraculous thing God wants to do in your life. But you'll never experience those amazing things unless you get out of the boat. If you're going to walk on water, then you've got to get out of the boat. Even when it seems unstable, you've got to make the move. You've got to trust God. Now, let's just make this real. That means... God may be right now working through some circumstances to provide you a very unique opportunity for a job, but your anxiety has got in the way, which is your boat. You pull back and you get into your shell and you don't want to do it. God may be laying on your heart right now of a ministry that you need to be a part of because everything's just wide open. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so much opportunity, but maybe you're holding back because you're thinking, I can't get out of that boat because it's unstable. It's, a, it's an unfamiliar area, and I just don't know if I can do that. But if you really want to see something amazing happen, then you've got to get out of the boat. I think about Thrive Church and the membership we're having next week after the service. We have a membership class. That's a bold move. That's a bold step. Especially for us that are left our, our sending church. Because this is a step where you're halfway in and halfway out. And you're about to decide, am I going to go all the way? Or am I going to stay? And let me put it this way. The, our sending church can sometimes be that boat. Because if things don't seem right at Thrive, I can always go back to fellowship. Y'all follow me? It's easy. 
I even had somebody when we were starting Thrive Church say to me, you know what, if you keep things just right, if things don't go right for Thrive, maybe your brother will hire you back. That was like the biggest slap in the face because that's basically saying you don't have to go all the way for God. Just ride the edge of the boat. Just have one foot in and one foot out. That's not the way it works. You have to get out of the boat. And when, in order to get out of the boat, you have to take some bold steps for God. But here's another thing. When getting out of the boat, call, God calls us to step out when sometimes it's dark out. I know that sounds so symbolic because it is. Watch. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 25. It was, the, it was the fourth watch of the night, which means it was around four o'clock in the morning. Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it, it's a spirit. And they cried out in fear. And then Jesus, of course, calms them down and explains, it's, it's me. And then we see Peter, of course, and then in verse 28, answer and say unto him, Lord, if it be you or be thou, bid me to come into the water. Now, watch this. God calls us to step out when it's dark out. And sometimes when it's dark out, you can't see clearly. It is so annoying when you can't see clearly. It was the fourth watch, which means around four o'clock. So here they are exhausted <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. It's unfamiliar, unstable. It is harsh. It is unpleasant. And this is what's taking place. It's hard times. But all of a sudden, Peter makes a decision in the midst of all of that. And it was in the midst of the darkest hour. It was so dark they couldn't see clearly. It's not easy to take bold steps for God when you can't see where you're going. And everything is not lining up the way you think they should line up. But now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? I know and hope and believe that God is able to do something beyond my comprehension, even though physically sometimes I can't see it working out. Helen Keller, the author and activist from the late 1800s, was deaf and blind. And somebody asked her the question, what could be worse than being born blind? And she answered and said, having sight with no vision. What that means is sometimes you can go through life and you can see physically, but there's something else missing. You don't have vision. Where, the vi where there's no vision, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, the people perish. Vision is the ability, not physical ability, but the vision of faith and believing that God can do something greater than yourself with you. This means you can't be a control freak. I am a control freak. I like to control my environment. I like when we even set up chairs to be present to make sure the chairs are specifically the way I want the chairs. If you know me, you know how I think and the way I operate. My kids do. Yeah, see some smirks in here. This is the truth. But when it comes to this, that means if you're going to make bold steps for God, real bold steps for God, you're going to have to get out of your controlled environment and step into God's and say, you know, I don't have to control this. I need to just trust God with it. I can't see clearly what God is doing. It's like I'm in a boat and I'm watching and the wind's, and the wind's blowing and the waves are, are splashing against the boat and everything seems so unclear. I just can't fully understand what's going on right now, right? But it doesn't matter how unclear it is. If you're going to take a bold step for God in the midst of the darkest hour and when it doesn't seem very clear, you have to step out of the boat and trust God anyway. If you're waiting for things to perfectly align and everything to, to line up in such a way that it's clearly and specifically according to your thinking, it will never work. It will never work.
I remember before I got married, I was thinking I have to have this much money in the bank and I have to have, literally, I was thinking this much food in the cabinets and I have to have this specific item and this specific item. And I finally had to get to the point with wisdom, I wasn't going to fly by the seat of my pants, just to take a big step of faith and say, you know what? I don't have it all figured out, but I know is God wants me to marry Brianna and we're going to do this. I remember when we were deciding to have kids. Oh my goodness, I had a whole list of things that needed to be accomplished and set in place before we have our first child. And some of that is just wisdom and you need to use common sense. But some of it is fear. And I just didn't see it clearly laid out the way I wanted, but God made the move and at one point we had one of our kids without us even knowing that she was pregnant. It was like, whoa. And then Bree found out, yes, I'm pregnant. This is going to happen and we can't stop it. It's going to be amazing. And then Ellie was born and was like, is it amazing? No, <laughs> just kidding. She's not here. I can say that. But the point is this. You can't always control what's going on. But you have to trust the one that is in control. I'll tell you this. It was so dark they couldn't see clearly, but it was so dark they didn't know Jesus. This is the most disturbing part of the whole story. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if thou would bid me, if you want me to, if thou would call me out, if you want me to come, call me. Now this is interesting because he said that specifically because he wasn't sure it was Jesus. So when I was in college in Tennessee, in the Knoxville area, I had a lot of roommates, which is dreadful. It's the worst thing in the world to have a lot of roommates because it's hard to get to sleep. Everybody's coming in at different times from work and some snore, some smell. It's just horrible. So I got very little sleep. And all my friends that were in my room were from all over. One was from Chicago. One was from L.A. I was from Alabama, distinctly different world. And so it was just we were just different. Well, one night, one of the guys came in really late, and he went to a party or something, nothing inappropriate. It was just a birthday party or something. And I don't know why he brought this back, but he brought a helium balloon back, and he brought it in the room. I was already asleep. I'm sleeping, and in the middle of the night, the helium balloon made its way to my bed, woke me up, bumped it into my face, and I had a God moment right then. I woke up. It was pitch black in there, and I'm thinking... This is, I was in Bible college, by the way. I got super spiritual at this moment. It's like, I'm doing something big for God. And he, Satan done sent a demon into the room to attack me. And I want to tell you, I've never been in a fight in my life. But that night, I won the fight. I beat the fire out of that balloon until there was nothing left. And I realized in that state of mind I was in where I couldn't see anything, it was just a balloon. And the other guys were just like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. You guys don't sleep with a nightlight. And that got out. Never heard the end of that. Still today, I sleep with a nightlight. I'm scared of the dark. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, and I'll tell you why. Because I want to know what's in the dark. I want to know what's there. It was a helium balloon. But how was I supposed to know? It was attacking me. My point is simple. When it is dark enough, the things that you're most familiar with are no longer familiar to you. The things that are most obvious to you are no longer obvious to you. If you have kids, you'll experience this, especially when they're little and they get up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and all of a sudden you're in a deep sleep and some creepy kid is by your bedside and they're slapping you on the chest and you wake up thinking somebody's got in the house and they're going to kill me. But it's just my kid, for whatever reason, waking me up and I can't even make out who they are except they're this big. The point is this. 
at the darkest moments in our life, sometimes we don't see Jesus for who he is. I don't feel like Jesus loves me like the song says because I feel like I'm alone. This is where the disciples were. They found themselves in a place in the midst of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, and they see this, this what they think is a spirit coming across the water. They couldn't even recognize Jesus for who he was. It's easy to get that out place. It was so dark, they didn't even know who God was. And that is hard to pay, take bold steps for a big God when Jesus doesn't look the same. Sometimes when life is at its darkest point, Jesus doesn't look the same. Sometimes when we get to that point in life and it seems like you're dealing with depression or you're dealing with friends with depression or you're dealing with anxiety or everything around you that you had once control of is out of control and it's dark, it's hard to look to Jesus for anything. I'm just being transparent. And I'm not the only one. Because you know the guy that lost his head, John the Baptist, that was put to death in the previous chapter, I think it was chapter 11? Before he died, he asked this question to the disciples. Would you go to Jesus and ask him, is he the one or do we need to look for another? You're talking about the one that was born specifically into the world to announce that Jesus is coming, the Messiah. I mean, we're talking about somebody that changed the world. Jesus referenced him as one of the most unique individuals known in human history. He was, de he, he was designed by God specifically to do something that nobody else would be able to do. But at this moment... At his darkest moment, Jesus didn't look like the Messiah because he was going through some hard times. And the Bible says that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. And then the word got back to him and says, hey, Jesus wants you to know that the sick are being healed, the dead are being raised. Basically, it's saying nobody else could do this, only the Messiah. And there was a peace before his death. But I'm going to tell you where you're at. You have to never stop making bold steps for God, even if you can't see Him in His fullness. With every step you take towards Him, He'll become more clear and obvious. When Peter stepped out of the water, he stepped out by faith, a bold step. And he began to see Jesus in His fullness in a way he didn't before. He was wondering, is this Him? Is this, the, is this really, truly the Son of God? I'm a, I want you to know that all of us have a choice to make in life. You have a choice. You can be average and just go through life. Or you could be above average and do something big for God. But if you're going to do that, you've got to get out of the boat. You can be an average dad, an average grandpa, an average grandma, an average brother, sister, aunt, uncle, whatever the case may be. But if you want to do something big for God... Get out of the boat. Be bold for God. It's not about making money. I said this Wednesday night, I had a family friend say to me, said, I'm one day going to be able to make a million dollars. My goal and so-and-so's goal and so-and-so's goal is to be the, we're, we're in a competition to see who's to be the first millionaire or multimillionaire. That's great. And I'm thankful for people that make good money, but that's not priority. I'm going to tell you, you better focus on what matters most. And it's not what you think, it's what God says. You've got to get out of the boat. You've got to have faith. Take big, bold steps for God. And I think about this. Waymaker was one of the most prominent, popular songs during 2020. Because everything we were experienced with COVID. And in that song, it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. 
Even when I can't feel it, you're working. Why? Because you never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And that's where Peter was. You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. I believe if you call me, I can step out by faith and take a big, bold step for you, and you're going to keep me above the water. So I don't care where you're at or what you're going through. I believe that if you take bold steps for God, God's going to do amazing things with your life. And I feel really strongly led that we're going to sing, we should sing Waymaker. I'm going to have Victor come, and as he begins to play, I'm going to ask you to do this for me, okay? I just want you to clear your mind for just a minute before we dismiss. Could you do it this way? Could you, could you bow with me just out of respect to those around you, just because I don't want anybody staring at you? I just want you to focus on yourself. This is cool. In order for us to take bold steps for God, then we must take steps of faith in the midst of hard times and sometimes dark times. And next week, I want to show you what happened when he got out of the boat. You could call it rules of engagement, rules to live by, whatever, whatever you want to define it as. But there were some things that he had to live by before he ever stepped out. Some things he had to understand. I'm going to talk about that part two of this. But where are you at right now, okay? Where are you at? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? And you know for sure, without a doubt, without a doubt, there's no question in your mind that you are a Christian. That you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And if you meant it with all your heart, then my question is, what are you doing with that faith? Are you taking bold steps for God? Next week, we're going to hear a little bit about Glory Reigns and how Bob and Shelly took some bold steps to reach teenagers that are in need and kids that are just down and out. And they're using horses. They bought a farm to make it happen. Bold steps for a big God. I've seen people work in children's ministry that had no idea what they were doing, but they knew God was calling them to do that. They took a bold step. Music ministry, same thing. I've seen people take jobs that they didn't think they were confident enough to take, but God called them to take that job, and now look what they're doing. Big things for a big God. All I'm saying is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you haven't trusted Him enough to help you take the bold steps that you need to take, then you better start trusting Him now and get out of the boat. Are you ready to take some bold steps for God? Here's the other thing. Maybe there's somebody in here that you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, you have an understanding of who God is, and that's good. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing. See, this is the way it works. You have faith, and faith is an amazing thing. You can believe in whatever you want to believe, but you need to learn this very quickly. Your faith, first of all, must be in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one to the Father, the Bible says. And that means simply this. If you want heaven to be your home and your life to be complete, then you need to invite Jesus Christ in your life. You say, well, what does that mean? It just simply means this. With your faith, you can believe. And you need to just trust God and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mean, there's not multiple gods. That would be messed up. There's one God. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That means He's the only way. If you, got, by faith, can trust Jesus Christ with your life, God can save you. So what does that mean, save me? That means He can change you. You're not going to be perfect, but man, life is better with Jesus in it. So, well, how do I do that? Simply like this. You just simply say, Jesus, in, by yourself, in your seat, quietly to yourself, with your heart. Because if you use your mind and that's it, it doesn't do anything. You have to mean it with your heart. Truly mean it. 
You just simply trust Jesus by saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you, you died and rose again, and I'm trusting you by faith. Become my Savior. I'm asking you to come into my life. Asking you to forgive me of my sin and show me the way to live. 